Welcome to Encouraging Change, a podcast that explores the relationship between motivational interviewing and peer recovery support. Your hosts, Laura Saunders and Chris Kelly, will engage in a conversation that combines their professions and passions, the spirit of motivational interviewing, and the power of peer support. Laura is a Wisconsin State Project Manager for the Great Lakes ATTC, MHTTC, and PTTC, and a seasoned motivational interviewing trainer. Chris is a project manager for the Peer Recovery Center of Excellence and an expert on peer recovery support services. So thank you for joining us today and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Episode 3, Providing Support, What Does It Mean? Today, Laura and I are going to talk about how providing support is a vital function of the peer recovery specialist role, and yet exactly how we provide support can remain a bit vague. There are some ideas from the science of motivational interviewing that can help guide us in our recovery coaching journey. Hi, Chris. Hi. So when that that term, you know, as as you mentioned, providing support, that's a pretty broad term. So in your work in the peer specialist uh, recovery field, what have you seen in your work about how providing support shows up? Yeah, that, yeah, that is a good question because it's, it can be used pretty broadly. A lot of it may depend on where the person works, meaning a community-based setting, a clinical setting, a hospital setting, an emergency department within a school so some of the, the settings might determine how you start off providing that support, but really when it comes down to it is helping an individual draw their map. And I think the more tangible supports that a peer recovery specialist may offer are in helping break down barriers or overcome obstacles that get in someone's way when they're trying to navigate that path that they just created on their map. And then, of course, really using our skill set, which I found really valuable, you know, a valuable component of motivational interviewing is using that skill set in partnering with an individual. So that, again, it's not my map and I'm not just offering someone a brochure of resources or a list of resources that they have to go out and navigate by themselves. So it's really hands-on. And that I'm coming alongside someone to access those supports that we discover together. Yeah. In our last episode, we talked about that, right? We talked about how compassion is seeing another person suffering or hurting and then deliberately doing something to help them move out of that place. Yeah. 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 So hearing that about from the peers lens, what providing support means in motivational interviewing, how do you describe support within that framework? Yeah, there's, there are a number of things that uh, we do to provide support in motivational interviewing. And some of those we talked, again, we talked about last time, right? We talked about that mindset about how we see this person, we're compassionate. I just mentioned that we're their partner, We don't know more than the person knows. We know a lot of stuff and things. And yet the person sitting across from us is the ultimate expert on themselves. We want to accept them. We want to be empathic. And 
you know, like you mentioned, it's, it's our job to help a person draw their own map. And in order for that to happen, in order for us to be supportive of somebody drawing their own map, the thing for me that I think is most important is listening, deep, deep listening. Um, and then reflecting the parts of a person's story that favor recovery and change. Because that's, that's where the technical part of motivational interviewing really come, that sort of the magic happens. It's that favoring the part of the person's story that favors change or favors recovery is much more effective than sitting and listening and, and overly emphasizing their struggles. So we want to be empathic towards people's struggles, but we really want to help them move towards recovery, help them, as you say, move along on that map towards the finish line, which is, you know, a happier, healthier life. Yeah. So a lot of people listening might have had some training in, in motivational interviewing, and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm just going to throw the words out there. So from what you're telling me, you can tell me if I'm right or wrong. Yeah. Um, we're talking change talk or sustained talk. Would that yeah. apply? Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, the, we're really looking for opportunities to encourage that change talk or that part of the story that favors movement in the direction of change. That's what change talk is. Sustained talk is stuck talk. It's just talk about how bad things are, how awful it is, how a person can't do something, how they don't want to do something. And again, we have to be empathic to that. We want it, that's a normal part of the change process, but it's not supportive to sit in, in that swamp of all of that stuff with somebody and not help them move along. That's our job as their helper is to help them map towards recovery. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if they stay a little too stuck in the, their addiction history, that might keep them stuck in the sense of not even seeing other potentials or possibilities. Absolutely, Chris. Yeah. But there's an actual skill set as a peer that we can develop to help them go from their addiction story to start to see their recovery journey. Absolutely. So I wonder if, if it would be a good idea for us to just do a little bit of a demonstration about this listening and reflecting and what you might think about that. Absolutely. I love doing these um, role plays because I think okay. when, when I hear them played out, I recognize it more. If you're up for it, I think a, a common case that I come across that I think a lot of us peers struggle with is we're working with an individual who's maybe been able to, they've been able to stop using a, a certain substance and they want to continue use with another substance. So for the case of our role play, I'm going to use, they were able to stop using alcohol and they want to continue to use marijuana. So they want to continue with that path. Okay. So, um, and is it okay? Do you want your name to be Chris or should we give you a different name? No, use it. Chris is good. Um, hey, Chris, so thanks for talking with me again today. Um, how about if we just start by you telling me kind of where things are at? And the last time we talked, you'd stopped drinking and you were pretty proud of it. Absolutely. My body feels better and I've been able to you know, find work that I love and I'm really engaged with my daughter's life. It just feels like everything's moving in the right direction. 
Yeah. Quitting, having alcohol leave your life brought in room for your daughter, for a, a job that you love, a, a, some space and time to take care of your body. Yeah. So things yeah. Have happened. Yeah. Yeah. When, you know, I've been socializing a lot more um, and been able to hang out with some old friends that, you know, I just had to, when I was in heavy use, it's like they just didn't even like want to be around me. And so it's fun to reconnect with people because my life's not so chaotic. And so Mm -hmm. I'm able to have those friendships again. So not only did you uh, have more space in your head and your heart for your daughter, you had more space for some friends that are important to you yeah yeah well now that I'm, I'm feeling more stable something I did want to just talk about talk through with you is that something I always enjoyed and I feel like I just never had real issue with was you know smoking some pot on like the weekends or when I'm hanging out with people that's kind of something a lot of my friends do and I don't know it's just I feel like I've I'm in a new place and it's something I want to explore and just not sure, you know, a little fearful that that could open doors to other things. So you, you're a little bit worried or you're a little bit wondering about this continuing to smoke marijuana. Yeah. It's just, you know, like I said, I haven't ever had issues with it. It was never a, you know, problematic for me. Um, but again, I don't really know much outside of, you know, I typically would use many substances at a time. And so I don't have a lot of experience, you know, just using this marijuana say, but, um, I don't know. It just seems like it would be, it would, to be honest, just feel good. The state we live in, it's legal, um, for recreational use. And so I'm not breaking any laws. Um, and I just feel like that's a, a place I'm at in my recovery that I could explore that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On the one hand, you want to explore it. It's not illegal. It's never been something that's a real trouble for you. It wasn't your, you don't attribute your troubles to marijuana. And then on the other hand, you're bringing it up. You're, there's a little bit of you that's like, I'm just not quite sure how this fits into my recovery. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, there's different schools thought in the recovery community around total abstinence or, um, you know, can you still go to certain support groups and, you know, I, I would never go to a, a place and lie. And so if I was being honest, I feel like maybe I wouldn't be welcome there. And is that worth it? It's kind of like that, you know, rolling the dice, like, well, why would I roll the dice? And on the other hand, I'm thinking, I think it would just kind of help me chill out and relax. Sometimes my anxiety is really high and um, I just think it almost would be, just kind of feels like it would be a reward. Mm -hmm. It could help with relaxation. It could be a reward. And you're also liking it, likening it to gambling. Yeah. You you use use the term, you know, roll the dice. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's always a gamble <laughs> if you introduce yeah, something yeah. new. So, so what would be sort of the worst case scenario with with using if you if you did start using the marijuana? What do you think the 
worst thing is that could happen? Well, I think just to fall back to all the old ways, you know, so that it would um, open a door to doing other things, or it might kind of make me comfortable with numbing my feelings again. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it's hard because I don't think it ever did that before, but I don't know. Yeah, you could end up in the place where you were before you did all the hard work that you did to get yourself into this good recovery spot. Yeah, yeah. You could be gambling with that. Right, right. And that's that's worrisome. It's scary. Yeah, because I have worked really hard and I've made so many gains um, Mm -hmm. that I just don't know. I don't even really know what the pull is about. Like, well, I've had fun in recovery. So why would I need to add this thing? And yet it feels so tempting. Right. Why am I even thinking this? Where is this coming from? It's confusing. Right. Right. And so is that my old mindset talking or is it just natural? And it's hard because I don't have a lot of people I can talk to about it. Again, you know, my family would worry if I even brought this up and, you know, you can't really always talk about this in the support group because people have really strong opinions. And so there's not a lot of places I can even just be honest and have this conversation. Yeah, it took a lot of courage uh, for you to bring this up. And you brought it up with me. You, yeah. you, you courageously brought it forward. You, you're concerned enough about this that you didn't want to keep it in, that you said, you know what, I think I'm going to just bring this forward. I want to talk about this. I want to talk about this with another person. And I want to make sure that I'm making a decision that's going to work for me. And you've got some, some reasons to, some reasons that are tempting you to use it. And then you've also got a pretty long list of reasons that you're, that you're thinking not. Yeah. Yeah. It's on both sides. Yeah. I figured if I talked it through with you, cause I, you know, you've been helpful through the mm-hmm. rest of my process. If I talked it through with you first and being honest about it and I'm saying it out loud which I think is really important and then Mm -hmm. you know part two it's again to like make it less of a gamble like at least then if I choose that I'm choosing it I'm not just rolling the dice like I've thought about it I've talked it through with somebody I trust and it feels more like a decision versus a gamble well and you know Chris that's exactly right like you're in charge of your recovery process right like you were in charge of making the decision in the beginning to 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 decide to stop using alcohol you made that decision and you made it happen with your hard work and your courage and you know you stuck to it and you're also in charge of this decision like nobody can tell you what you should or shouldn't do about this like this this is completely up to you yeah. So, well, do you think it would be okay? What, what I think would be helpful is because I don't, I'm not ready to make that decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, if maybe we just checked in in another week or so. Yeah. I'd be um, absolutely. Yep. And you're absolutely. open just to keep talking about it, not um, making yep. the decision for me. <laughs> no, I can't make the decision for you. It's really your, your life and your decision and you should be the one who has who feels like you have everything you need to make the, this decision yourself and I'm totally willing to just to uh just wait a bit yeah no well, problem. thank you that would be really helpful great okay 
So what did you think about that, Chris? I wish we could ask all the people who were listening. <laughs> I never felt um, interrogated. Mm -hmm. I never felt put on the spot. So when I'm put on, in real life, when I'm put on the spot, my mind just like swirls mm -hmm. and I grasp for the next, you know, the closest words I can. And those aren't always the words I want to use. And I might shut down a little bit, but the reflection just kept me talking. And I just felt like continuously like, oh, the ball's in my court. Mm -hmm. And you I know that you want that ball in your court. Yeah, not in an overwhelming way, but like, this is my choice and I can do what I want. And you just put back to me some of the things I said, like the word gamble and, you know, like, hmm, a curiosity, not a judgment. Yeah. Um, and again, brought me back to a point where I still felt like, oh, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But obviously I want to do some more thinking on it, which mm -hmm. I think is in any peer recovery relationship is a peer if you're kind of feeling like, hmm, I don't know if they should be doing that, <laughs> um, which you didn't give me a sense of, but as a peer, yeah. you might think that if somebody brings up any type of use, the reflection just really allowed it to stay in my space. I was able to still have ownership of that decision mm -hmm. and, and know that I could come back to it. You weren't taking it off the table. Nice. How likely do you think that is that uh, in a, within a trusting, supportive peer specialist and person that they're working with relationship that somebody would feel like they could bring that up? I actually think it's really possible, especially once you've, you've done that groundwork. As peers, I think if we practice reflective listening, especially when, there's, when it's low risk, mm -hmm. we set a precedence that it's okay to bring up the hard stuff because you didn't historically try to fix me or just give me a menu of options or scare me into, or just give me the potential negative. You actually did the pros and cons, weighed it out with me and, and yeah. reflected back my words. And so we want the hard stuff because anyone can, not anyone, but a lot of different resources can provide that menu of options. The whole point of peer support is to provide that long-term support that goes from year one to year five, those yeah. recovery check-ins and weighing out, you know, where's your recovery capital at and how is this decision going to impact that capital? And do you have enough capital built up to sustain that? Yeah. 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 So th that's, that's just a couple of of the skills that we can employ from a motivational interviewing perspective, that listening and reflecting and making sure that we're reflecting things that move towards change and asking permission to share information. All of those things um, can help appear with that core competency of providing support. You know, you said earlier that, you know, what this is about is staying in our lane, right? Like, how do I listen? How do I reflect? How do I not overstep? and disempower somebody rather than empowering them, which is really what I'm trying to do when I'm providing support. So I really yeah. appreciate you talking about this with me today. Yeah, thanks, Laura. Thank you. Yep. Thanks to all of you too for your time and consideration of this topic. We'll be back in episode four, where we talk about skillfully sharing your lived experience of recovery. All right. Talk soon.
This podcast is sponsored by the Great Lakes, HETC, MHTTC, and PTTC, which are funded through cooperative agreements with SAMHSA. The opinions expressed in this recording are those of the speakers and do not represent the official position of SAMHSA or DHHS. Thank you again for joining us on the Encouraging Change podcast. If you are a new listener, please follow us on social media and don't forget to like and subscribe to the Great Lakes current YouTube channel to access many more free products and resources just like this.